Join us and Neighborhood Cats for all you need to know about Trap New to Return, TNR, and Colony Management. You'll learn the basics and walk away with the tools you need to be successful in helping outdoor cats. Workshops are typically held the first Saturday of the month. Registrants will have the opportunity to earn a certificate. For more information and to register today, go to communitycatspodcast.com. You've tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we have an extra special, awesome guest in Tabitha Kusara, and she is with Chirps and Chatter, and she also has a new podcast called Tales from a Vet Tech. Is that what it is? Tales from a Vet Tech? Tales, T-A-I-L-S. Everybody get it? Ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Yes. So congratulations on entering the podcaster's realm. I hope it's been an okay experience for you. Uh, Have you learned anything new in your podcasting experience at this point in time? It's been interesting. I love talking to people and advocating, educating, and highlighting others. So with, and I love talking. So it just made sense for me to get a podcast and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And thankfully I have a producer who is amazingly helpful. I couldn't do it without him. So teamwork makes the dream work for sure. Excellent. Excellent. So we have had you on the show before and we will link folks back to that show so we can get your bio, but you are like the behavior expert, vet tech behavior, sort of the, you're a hybrid. I have to tell you, Tabitha, you are just a hybrid. You are one of our guest speakers on online behavior day. You've been doing this wonderfully for the last several years with our group of other feline behaviorists, but you are very unique to the others because you have this vet tech experience, and then you're very focused on behavior. And you want to just share a little bit about why is that different than being your standard feline behaviorist? Yeah. So as you can imagine, behavior contributes to a lot of things. And I always say that behavior is everything. And what I mean by that is brain health, which we can simplify as behavior, is the same as physical health. Now, our society is not quite there yet. We're getting there. We focus on the positive with humans and animals. So when it comes to behavior issues, I see whether it's house soiling or aggressive behaviors towards other cats, towards a dog, towards humans. In many cases, there is an underlying medical component that is either causing that behavior altogether or is contributing. So for example, if you are someone that suffers with chronic pain, I'm sorry, I understand how much that is not fun. But if you're a cat that has chronic pain, everything is harder. Everything is more stressful. You are probably more irritable. In many cases where I've worked, where cats have exhibited aggressive behavior towards their caregiver or other cats, pain was a huge underlying component that was never possibly diagnosed or addressed for various reasons, because it can be difficult. It's not malicious. It's complex. So being a veterinary technician and a behavior consultant is really, really helpful because I can help observe those 
symptoms and work with the veterinarian as a team to help address and treat those medical issues, which then also helps with the behavior component. And then also when it comes to giving medications, whether it's injectable or oral, I do medication trading and I do something called cooperative care, which is essentially care where the animal plays a part in their care. So I say the cue meds and my cat comes to a station by their own choice, purrs throughout their medication, and then chooses to stay there. So that's an example of cooperative care. Because if a caregiver can't give meds or give the treatments the vet prescribes, you guys, that is a very real problem. There's pet owner strain that's associated with that. And I care about my humans. And if the cat's not getting the meds they need. So that's another way where being a behavior consultant and veterinary technician can be really, really helpful in just addressing behavior issues for kitties. Yeah. And when you've done some presentations that I have seen, you have some phenomenal videos on, you know, how to draw blood from a kitty and the kitty's just there going, yay. I mean, with, with stimulation, you know, or, or enrichment in other directions. So it's not like the cat's just saying, you know, here, give it to me, but you're provide redirecting their focus so that then they're not as anxious about what is actually happening to them, which is really amazing and dramatic and never, I never thought possible. No, I love, I take videos of everything I do because I, I teach handling for a living to shelters and veterinary professionals and the general public. But I think many of us are kind of, when it comes to cats and dogs in, in some context, when we think of handling, we think of either scruffing the cat or tossing a towel over the cat and Those are two techniques that in many cases increase stress because even I love towels as a handling tool, but towel handling is a skill set. And in many cases, the cat, no one even assesses the cat's body language and they just kind of toss a towel over the cat. So to me, I hot take, I consider that like sitting on a dog, which is not appropriate. So I understand you're using a towel to simulate that forcefulness to keep that animal still. When in many cases, If we just use a considered approach, work with the individual cat in front of us, have a non-slip surface, some basics that I understand now that I apply to every animal, many cats will understandably do a lot better because we're not the whole holding still thing. I always joke that animals are alive, guys, and they're supposed to breathe and move. And I'm not saying running off the table, but it's appropriate for a cat to maybe readjust their leg during a blood draw. And I know 10 years ago, I would have held that cat more, which is upsetting, but we learn as we go. And in tech school, I was taught some things that I would not do now. That's why we call it practicing medicine because we're always improving. But like you said, a lot of these techniques can be taught and learned and applied to every cat you work with, even community cats for that matter. There's a lot of things. Obviously, I'm not going to be handling a feral cat with my hands or even in cases with a towel. So that's something when it comes to handling fearful cats, a handling plan should be in place. Sedation should be utilized. Skilled handlers should be utilized because sometimes I'll be somewhere at a shelter and in passing they'll mention, oh, we grabbed this cat and scruff. And I'm just like, whoa, not only because that's incredibly dangerous for the human, because you guys aren't rough or tough because you, (laughs) that's another common thing. Like I got bit. I'm tough. Nope. You're not 
that's not something we should be glamorizing in any way. I care about you guys and you should not be being put in situations where you're being bit. And that cat shouldn't be being put in a situation where they have no choice but to bite to get you to stop because we're not listening to a lot of their other signs. So there's so many ways to interact and handle feral cats, which a big part of that is giving them an IM injection in the trap. And as someone that's a skilled handler and has worked with those types of cats, I can give an injection to a moving animal in a muscle very quickly. But understandably, that is a skill. And you shouldn't just be like, hey, I've, I'm not a veterinary professional. I'm kind of being, which I understand some of us are thrown into situations, handle this fearful or this feral cat because you're just setting up everyone for failure. And it's okay for you to say, I'm not comfortable because that cat's going to get loose. It's ultimately not going to work. <laughs> and people may get hurt and that cat's going to be mentally and possibly physically damaged or hurt in some way. I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier today and the focus was on, on pain and identifying pain in cats, which is challenging to do. And I, then I look you know, back in my mind and my archive of cats that I've had and that have, you know, suffered from disease and stuff. And, you know, what did I not see that I should have been seeing at that point of time? And as you say, we learn and we move forward. Right. And, and I do think that probably identifying pain was something that I was not seeing in, in my cats. And so I want to ask you this question too, in two ways. One is, you know, identifying pain in cats in a sheltered environment identifying pain in your home environment. And I'm going to add a third prong, which is identifying pain in the community cat colony environment. Are there any tips in those three scenarios? And I would think the checklist might be different in all yes. three different scenarios. So maybe the question is, what is that checklist or what would your guidance be in those three scenarios in being able to identify pain, which then determines what level of action we do going forward too? So some of the things apply to all three situations. So one thing I'm a huge fan of is collecting data because you aren't a veterinary professional and you can't be too hard on yourself and be like, I miss this. Um, that's why veterinary visits and annual veterinary visits are so important and relationships with veterinary colleagues and professionals. So one of the things I always recommend is, and this is helpful for community cats too, Get your awesome smartphone that everyone has these days, which is wonderful, and grab one to three videos of your cat exhibiting normal behavior from your definition. So I usually say their gait, so them walking forward and backward, them eating and them playing, and then share those with the veterinarian that you work with. Because in shelter situations, I've worked with quite a few shelters where Staff members have had some issues, real talk, getting maybe the executive director, which is upsetting, but this is real life, to address the pain in the shelter cats. So we can say this cat's painful, which you, you're valid and that should matter. But also when you have data, it, it's hard to argue with you, right? And then you could share like with the veterinarian, for example, I see abnormal gates in most, most of my cat behavior consults, um, honestly. So I can share those, what I'm seeing with the veterinarian and then, then also let the caregiver know what it looks like. Because once I point it out to an employee or a caregiver, they see it. So then once we start getting pain management on track, we can assess and reassess. So the videos I think are huge. And then 
Also just learning about what basic pain signals look like in cats. So there's quite a few resources. We're getting better guys. Yay. Positivity. I have a cat pain handout that's available for free on my website that you can download, which is helpful. And then there is the feline grimace app because there are cats faces tell us a lot, not just with how they're feeling as far as happy or, or fearful, but also painful. And there's an actual app that you could literally put up to the cat, take a photo, and it will help you identify where is it mild pain, moderate pain. And again, that's a tool that you can share with that veterinarian, because in some cases that veterinarian in the shelter setting or the exec, again, may be like the cat's fine, which finds a bad word, guys, that doesn't describe anything. So when you have this evidence, again, you have more, and then you can even reach out to other veterinarians and kind of get some support. And it's not just you saying stuff. It's, hey, we noticed these signs. We noticed the with the Feline Grimace app this. And that could be also really helpful in triaging community cats. Because like you mentioned, Stacey, that the treatment and care for them is a little different. So you can triage with a veterinary professional, like who is comfortable seeing community cats, because that's a not all veterinary professionals are comfortable with that. So if you are working with someone, ask, see their comfort level. No one can do everything. And then you can share the video, ideally not on social media, but uh, with a veterinary professional to help. Okay, this needs this cat needs to be seen right now. We can do carrier or essentially trap training because you can train community cats to go into their trap happily. And we should all be doing that, especially if you have a colony because routine monitoring and health care is important. Do we have a few days to do that? Or is this a abrupt thing that we have to get the cat in right away? Or are there changes in the environment? Can I add a ramp to this cat's feral cat house? Little things that you can do. Can I elevate their food and water? And this is things you could do for all the cats in every setting that you have control of, that you can make everyday life easier for them. A lower entrance litter box where you make it out of a Is your organization struggling to keep up with the so needs of your community? You not have well, great news. Dubert.com can help solve that problem many for you with their companion case management Woo. module. They it allows you to create cases for all they your clients' needs. Send so emails and text messages right from the system. And with Dubert's powerful, innovative thinking, you can also set up and initiate workflows that will pretty much do the hard work for you. Exciting, right? Check it out and learn more at www.dubert.com to get started today. Ever wanted to quickly connect, collaborate, or problem solve with others in the animal welfare field who are, you know, real people? Look no further than Maddie's Pet Forum. Maddie's Pet Forum brings people of animal welfare together with the common goal to keep more people and pets together. We share ideas, expertise, offer each other support, resources, and more. Visit forum.maddiespetforum.org slash cats. Maddie's Pet Forum. Come for an answer. Stay for the community. So some of the things that we're talking about here to kind of lead into the concept of fear-free too also. And so what is fear-free for those of you who don't know? And we have quite a few interviews with folks that are involved in the fear-free training so what is fear-free in a nutshell? And then how does fear-free apply to the work we do with community cats? So fear-free kind of on the segue of what I was talking about earlier about behavior is everything. So 
fear-free is all about not ad- not only addressing the physical well-being of the animals, like from a veterinary standpoint or shelter standpoint, I am going to manage this animal's disease through whatever, but it's also addressing the emotional well-being. I'm not going to forcefully hold this cat down as they're vocalizing to give them a pill because we know a lot now you're not going to give that cat a pill in the future. And that cat can even generalize the fear associated with that event to all people or the environment. And like I was mentioning before, there's a lot of small things, our approach, the way we touch animals that we can do to decrease the fear, anxiety, and stress associated with trapping. Like I mentioned, I know that not many people talk about this because there's not a lot of behavior community cat people, but you can train a cat to go into a trap. And that's something that you can start to do right away. I have a handout on that and I'll share it with Stacy to share with everybody because not only does it cause you stress to be like, oh my gosh, I have to trap this cat, but obviously that causes the cat a lot of stress, which does make them more prone to disease processes because behavior is everything. So some steps that I can think of just off the bat, because sometimes I hear, which is really interesting, I hear that, but it's a community cat and I don't really understand that perspective. We can't do anything because it's a community. It actually is kind of upsetting to hear that so often because if anything, we should be doing more to address the anxiety, fear, and stress associated with everything, including you as a human, because by definition, these cats are unsocialized to people, which they can live their happy lives outside, but the few interactions they have with people are horribly traumatic and it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. So a few steps would be, again, training the cat to go into a trap, little things like setting up the appointment ahead of time and placing the cat in your car in a stable way. So all traps are different sizes. You may do just on your back seat and seatbelt them in. So it's not rolling all over the place. We're not going to put traps on top of each other. I have seen that more than you think. Whoa, is that stressful and not safe? And if you're doing TNR and you're in a van type situation, for example, we're going to strategically domino Tetris those, those traps with like, we're going to use bungee cords, make sure everything is stable. Each cat has a blanket to cover their carrier or their trap, ideally to minimize visual stimuli. I'm going to use feel away, which is a pheromone because why not? All, all of these are small things, but when we do all of these small things, um, it does make a big difference. I'm not going to play what I normally listen to, which is hardcore and metal. I'm going to play classical music or when I'm transferring feral cats, I actually listen put on a purr app, which is soothing for you too, because purring is self-soothing. Again, what can I do in the environment to decrease the fear, stress, and associate with anything? I'm going to minimize auditory stimuli by playing something calming, which is classical music or purring, not just the radio. That is not calming in many cases. Um, or again, loud music that you might like. I am going to handle the cat in a way that is appropriate. So for example, the cat stays in the trap, obviously. And when it comes to sedation and all of those things, the sedation is ready ahead of time. The cat is in a closed, quiet room prior to us interacting with them from a veterinary standpoint. And even though you're awesome and you've worked with cats, it is not appropriate to just reach in and interact with the feral cat in any context. I'm just going to be honest, guys. 
none. Uh, there's really, there's really no, cause people, again, they're like, I did it this one time. Again, that's not something necessarily to be proud of. We should be having plans ahead of time on how we're going to interact and transfer that cat. So there's a lot of things that you can do having, instead of newspaper, having something else in the trap. And I understand newspaper is easy. It camouflages it, but we can use things like yoga mat pieces. So it's a non-slip substrate that's more comfortable for, because sometimes we're recovering these cats in these traps, guys. So not only are they in the trap, and for a while, which we're doing the best we can, but then they're being recovered in these traps, which is appropriate. And there's just some newspaper that just hurts my heart. So again, yoga pieces cut to fit a trap and they can be washed easily. Yoga mats are super cheap. You can even buy it in like long yards, which I do, but I understand that everyone is going to do that. But again, little things that make a really big difference for our community cat friends. Most certainly. And they're, they're definitely, those are all great tips. They're wonderful. And, and I think it's great to put that together into a sheet for our listeners. And some of those tips are, we're going to definitely pull those out in the notes. And there's also some tips from community cats podcast and neighborhood cats, the TNR certification workshop, simple things. Again, we say simple things, but they're so important, you know, is making sure that the doors are secure, right. You know, and making sure that the trap is being utilized correctly if needed, use a drop trap. That's the other thing, planning ahead and considering what is the least stressful way I can catch this cat. That is a cute, because there's so many amazing creative ways. And I always, I talk about this with feral kittens a lot. It's not appropriate to just, I understand they're small. It is not appropriate to just pick up a feral kitten. You should be using a drop trap in most cases, because when comes to the socialization process, which is something I talk a lot about, you're already setting that kitten and you up for failure because you're starting with the kitten's fearful. You're forming a negative association with that kitten immediately. Let the drop trap be the bad guy. And also, again, safety is a big part of this. Just because you can hold the smaller cat does not make it appropriate for you to forcefully grab that cat and, again, create that negative association with you. Let the drop trap be the bad guy. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So Tabitha, you've been part of the online behavior day for the last couple of years, and you're going to be joining us this April at online behavior day with our behavior day dream team of Pam Johnson, Bennett, Arden Moore, and Rachel Geller. Would you be willing to share a little bit about potentially some of the topics you might be covering? So interestingly enough, this conversation has brought up a lot of things. So one thing that I think I will definitely be covering is pain in cats because I work with so many amazing shelters and pain plays such a big part in, again, everything, but also commonly when cats are relinquished for house soiling or aggressive behavior, shelters have very few tools because cat behavior and updated science-based behavior resources are so limited in the shelter world. Unfortunately, everyone feels stuck. So if we can help shelters be able to advocate and empower those shelter team members to understand what pain looks like and how they can get that cat the help they need. In many cases, that cat can get adopted into a long lasting loving home, or maybe that caregiver or that shelter staff member can even talk to the caregiver that may relinquish because they feel hopeless and like there's no hope 
um, and they feel like this is all they could do about what pain looks like and some first steps that they can work with their vet to get that cat feeling better. So I'm thinking I'm going to be talking about how behavior and pain correlate and what we tend to see, the main behavior issues we tend to see and how pain can correlate how you can identify pain and things that you can do. Like I was talking about elevating food and water, I call it senior buying, but obviously it's it applies to all cats. For example, a declawed cat is, is a disabled cat essentially. So there are special things and considerations that we need to consider when we're housing a declawed cat. So again, what can we do to get that cat comfortable? How can we manage and treat that pain? But mostly, how can we identify that pain? Because as shelter employees, although you may feel like you don't have much control, the good news is it's hard. I get it. You do have a lot of control of the cage and the environment and how you interact with the cat. And you make a big difference in every interaction you have with that cat. Yeah, for sure. Your energy, just how you're carrying yourself, how you feel about yourself transfers into the cats for sure. And um, even if you are touching them, you're communicating with them, you're verbally, you're visually, it's much more than just touch. It, there's so many more ways that our cats pick up on us and, and how we're feeling and how they're feeling. And that's a different way of communicating. But I totally believe that I had great relationships with the no see feral cats in my house, basically. And we had a wonderful relationship that was not based on touch. And, and I love that you mentioned that because in my brain, I'm just like, of course not. But that is a common misconception, whether it's among caregivers or shelter employees, that touch equals love. When in many cases, touch equals terrifying person missing the signals that I'm uncomfortable or conflicted and then forcing themselves upon me. So I think, like you said, there's so many ways to interact with cats in a positive way that don't consist of you touching them. And in many cases, it's actually not appropriate for you to touch them. That should be like, if I'm working with socializing a feral kitten, one of the last steps is touch. Uh, we work on a lot of things ahead of that because what tends to happen is flooding, which is where we forcefully expose it, a learner, human or animal to what they're afraid of full force. So that whole like I'm going to hold the kitten and love them forever, which is a common misconception of how to socialize kittens. You're actually flooding them and teaching them that many cases they're frozen in fear and people misunderstand that as the cat is resting when the cat is actually tense and all these body language signals. Once I educate them on, they're like, oh, that cat was frozen in fear. And when that cat goes to a new environment or even a new room, they're going to backtrack a lot because we use flooding, which as you can imagine, when you're exposed to what you're afraid of, it doesn't make it better. And in many cases, it can actually make it worse. Tell me a little bit more about your podcast, Tales from a Vet Tech. Is this sort of the type of conversation that you have on the show? What are the topics that are covered there? Yeah, it's very cash. I think honest conversations between people is nice. And that's what I would want to hear. And it's very important. So Tales from a Vet Tech is all about educating, highlighting, and advocating animal professionals. So this includes veterinary professionals, shelter professionals, and also my behavior consultant professionals. And we talk about everything from, we recently had an episode about, because it was September is pain month. And as you guys can tell, pain is very important to me. So we had a podcast all about pain 
in cats and dogs and what we can do to help identify that and advocate for the animals that we work with. We've covered things like, I have an episode coming up, which I'm super stoked about veterinary forensics and how it can be utilized to help animals and people in many cases. And then also I have mental health, again, obvious, right? Is very, very important to me. And I have an amazing therapist friend, human mental health professional, and we do mental health matter episodes. So there was one on boundaries, what they are, because I'll be honest, guys, I had no idea what they were uh, for a long time, what they are, how to figure out what your boundaries are, and then how to establish them, because that's a whew, that's a whole separate thing. I also shared my personal mental health struggles, because I think that that is something really important. You guys aren't alone. We all struggle with things differently. And again, it, it does get better in many cases or can be managed in many ways. So I just share my personal story of how I address my triggers like I do with my patients, um, how I identified my triggers, how I met my physical, mental, and social needs. And I have a therapist that I see regularly because our jobs are hard and life is hard and it doesn't hurt to have an unbiased opinion. Everybody can have that in their lives, guys. <laughs> Everyone can use it. So those are a few things that we discuss on the podcast. That's great. That's excellent. And so important. As you say, the work that we do is really important, but longevity is really important too. You matter. The cat matters, but we've all been in that situation, including myself, where we're like, if I don't do it, no one will. Or we take in all these cats and then it becomes, we all know sometimes right. that can go to, and that person has good intentions and then become, and mental health is playing a huge part in that. And then those cats aren't getting the care they need and neither is the human. So it sounds cliche, but you can't take care of others if you're not taking care of yourself. And again, it sounds cliche, but y'all, I have learned this in the last, the pandemic was very eye-opening for my mental health journey. <laughs> And helped me realize the importance of it. And it's an everyday, it's a, a process one day at a time, but I am flourishing so much more and providing the animals and caregivers I work with. I'm doing such a better job because I'm taking care of myself. So you matter, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a, it's a practice. It's a wellness piece. And um, one thing I always will remember of my mother who is now deceased, but she used to say, oh, I just don't have the patience to meditate. I can't meditate. I'm not good because my mind just wanders all over and I never, I can't, I can't not think, right? It just doesn't work. And I, and I didn't really get it at the time, but now I get it that meditation is not something that's ever going to be perfect. Right? right. You're not going to be done with it. You're not going to be finished with it. It's not something that you like, oh, I've mastered this and I'm going to fold this up and I'm going to put it away. It's it's very different than that. And if I'd only been able to explain to her at the time that it's like okay to not be perfect in in that health healthcare mental wellness space. It's okay. We're we're never going to be perfect, but we always want to practice. Yeah, I used to say that, interestingly enough, because I'm all over the place, which I I've honed and I love this about me now because I have quite a few things that I do um, well. So I love my energy, but I can also see how if I thought about it in a different way, it could actually be detrimental to me. So I think, like you said, starting, I literally, when I saw my therapist first, 
we just like, we started with the basics. She's like, are you drinking water and sleeping? (laughs) Uh, but in my head, I was like, because we're perfectionists, unfortunately it's conditioned in our society and it's getting worse. But like you said, I want to meditate. I want to work out. I want to blah, blah, blah. And now I'm doing all those things, but it's three years in, I started with just drinking water and trying to not take my laptop to bed, doing things to actually help me get a good night's sleep. So just like with behavior in animals, we shape it. We break it down into small, realistic, doable steps up into the goal behavior, which a goal behavior of having mental health wellness is that's a big behavior guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really tremendous. So Tabitha, folks are interested in finding out um, more about Turrups and Chatter, as well as the podcast, where would you send them? So I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Tails, T-A-I-L-S, from a podcast or from a vet tech. And then I'm also on Twitter. I don't have a website for that yet, but I'm working on it. The good news is it's literally available because my producer's great on every platform possible. So you can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, honestly. Um, And then Chirps and Chatter, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I share a lot of educational resources um, that you can utilize. And then I also have my website, chirpsandchatter.com, where I have quite a lot of free downloads and resources that you can look at, but also see my upcoming events. Or if you wanted me to come out and do a handling workshop or working with fearful cats, clicker training. I mean, the opportunities are endless. It's so fun. You can find me there. Excellent. Excellent. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? No, I just love you, Stacy, And uh, we need to spend more time. Every time I talk to her for, see, this is what happens when you're in work mode. We talk about this is a work-related thing. And I was like, I love Stacy. We need to talk more. So thank you for everything you do. And I appreciated our conversation this morning. You're just great. Oh, thank you, Tabitha. I love you too. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so thank you for being a guest on the show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. And I look forward to seeing you at Online Behavior Day. So folks, we'll also have a link to Online Behavior Day. And if you uh, want to tune in, uh, Tabitha is going to be there with me and we'll have our cat trivia and all that fun, exciting stuff coming up in April. So Tabitha, thanks again. Have a good day, everybody. Thanks. Bye. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. Wow.